Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. What's going on, other Matt? <laughs> I don't know, other Matt. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what we can do to make the whole vibe of the podcast feel a little better. I feel like we're lacking a little culture here. I mean, in between a Lego Voltron and a slumped over Mickey Mouse. Doll. And a money gun. Yeah. Yeah. And green M&Ms. I mean, I'm just trying to figure out what we can do to make this a podcast that people, the, the, the people we want, want to come not only be on, but come back for. I mean, it seems like we have a lot of culture in here already. Well, I brought an expert in. Now, before I introduce him, I want to go ahead and- And you brought me too. Yeah, true. True. <laughs> Let's just introduce him and then we'll do the heavy lifting. Welcome back, Frank Keck. Thanks, Matt and Matt. I feel like I should change my name. To Matt? Yeah. We did that. It's even harder to figure out who the other Matt is at that point. <laughs> so for those of you that are longtime listeners, Frank is a returning guest. He's the CEO of Core Build Solutions. They help you do things like figure out how many pool tables you should have in your startup, right? And should you have vanilla soft serve or chocolate? True. Or These are important decisions. Bowling alley or swimming <laughs> swimming pool. So both. Well, Speaking of, of businesses that can help your startup, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io. We can help you build a software development team quickly and affordably, and we take care of the work culture stuff. We make it a cool place to work. Fullscale is a cool place to work, I it think. It is a cool place to work. Yeah. I'm going to go get a job there, I think. Well, Frank, why don't you give us a little background about what you do with work culture for those that may not have listened to the first episode? So those of you that didn't listen or have a short-term memory, which is, you know, those of us over 30. So I guess that's not you. But. <laughs> yeah, it is. Watson's old. So CoreBuild's been around since, um, well, we rebranded two years ago. We were Accelerant before that. And we've been working on workplace culture. And what that means is how do you create a great place where people want to work? Uh, a lot of customers would come to us to do leadership training and stuff, and they would say, you know, we send people to training, but then they come back and it's a bad environment that they come back to and they just go back to their old habits. Can you help us to change the whole thing? And so you guys know it's got to start from the top, but it's got to be the, the entire company focused on this is the way that we want it to be. You can't just send a person here or there to a training class and expect the whole culture to change. And I think people are much more aware of that now. And uh, I was with a client last week, a construction company, and they realized, hey, even though we're one of the biggest in the world, we've got to work every day on making this a place that people want to come work for. Otherwise, you can't you can't get good people and you can't keep good people. Well, I think what you mentioned is is has been a hot buzzword, work culture, right? Um, and things like work life balance. I even wrote some think I wrote a book on it, even though the thesis of the book was work life balance is pretty much impossible. Um, but trying to get that figured out, the larger your company gets, the harder it gets, I would imagine. Yep. Um, yep. and then also trying to make everybody happy as a statistic. That's impossible. That you will not find. Yeah. yeah you'll never make. So. There's a percentage of people that wake up every morning excited to start bitching. 
So, and that's true. So I think maybe it doesn't matter what you do. It's maybe, true. Maybe before we bounce this back to the expert, Matt, Matt Watson, what's your definition of work culture? Like, what do you, when you think of work culture, what do you think about whether you know, it be good, bad or ugly? It is definitely a very diverse topic. I don't, I definitely don't think about the pool tables or that kind of part of the culture. I think about people's attitudes, the support they get from management, the leadership they get, the kind of attitude and um, communication they get from their management leadership, um, all that sort of stuff I think is really important. And then, you know, sometimes the the employees and the teams themselves kind of take on their own kind of personalities and, and that's where the kind of company culture has to come in and keep kind of maybe pushing them in the kind of culture you want instead of them creating yep. their own culture. And when you bring people in from the outside, they bring that outside culture in. Right. And if you're not, if you don't stay on top of it, all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, Hey, what happened to our culture? It's yeah. not what we wanted. Well, and, and when I think work culture, I mean, I think that if I had to just use one word, I'd say the vibe or the other in two words, but what it's the vibe that is going on. And that is sometimes positive, sometimes negative, sometimes lost, meaning like, uh, what do we do here? Well, and, and, and so like, in Stackify, full scales, you know, these companies are more startups and whatever. And I think we overall have kind of a more positive view of the world, positive kind of work culture or whatever. But I have to imagine there's some like call centers and assembly plants and stuff where, where it's very heavily union and everybody's just like, fuck the man all day. And that's sort of like the culture almost. And, and that, that would be very the, that's poisonous. The that's the vibe. Yeah. And that would be a very vibe. poisonous yeah. kind of environment to work in, I would think. So the first real culture thing I ever did was for um, General Motors. They had started a new car plant called mm -hmm. Saturn. And they said, hey, we're going to take uh, UAW members and people of management, and we're going to put them on the same team because we think that's a great idea. And I said, well, you realize they hate each other. This was the mid-80s. Yeah. And they said, yeah, that's why you're here. And But that really was the first venture into developing an on-purpose culture. And that first conversation, I'll never forget it, one of the UAW guys goes, we were talking about, you know, we're, first you have to have a conversation about what are the expectations and aspirations? Like if we're going to work together, what do you expect from me? What can I expect from you? What do we aspire to? So one of the UAW guys goes, I expect you to cuss. And I said, cuss, what do you mean? And Fuck he started yeah. there. Exactly. Thank you. Right on cue. And I said, I know it. I know what swearing is, but how is that an expectation? And he said, in this environment, if you don't swear, we don't take you seriously. And so we, I said, okay, let's write it down. And that's where we, we started from there. But it was weird. It took us probably a, a good year to get to those people to where they were at least open to respecting each other. I don't think they ever liked each other, but at least it was, hey, yeah, this is this I don't is need what to we like need. you to work with you, though. It, it's I mean, nice. It, it doesn't hurt, but, yeah. I, but it's not a requirement. No. Yeah. No. And I don't need to agree with everything outside of work that you agree with either. No. And, and we don't have to go hang out after work. Right. And, and I think some of that diversity, if it's, Hey, this is the reason that we're here. And that's what we're finding more and more is people want to know, Hey, why are you guys doing this? Right. What's the whole purpose of Stackify? I think that's the big key is people that genuinely care about the work that's being done. Yeah. Definitely are going to have a much better attitude. Then if they're working at a place, they feel like they're cogs in a wheel and they don't like the work that's being done anyways. They're just there for the that's job. That's where that purpose-driven attitude can come in, though. And that's like, so at Full Scale, that's something we do uh, in our office in Cebu. We use the term client-obsessed. And I have to carefully define that because that doesn't mean drive, making yourself crazy. 
right. to be obsessed with the client's success, but it means taking ownership in what you're doing to the point where if the client and the team that you're working on is winning, so are you. And that's so you don't feel like a cog in a machine. So you don't feel like you're just an assembly line worker. Because one of the things with uh, remote or distributed workforces is, you know, you look at the team that we have that might work for any company and they're 8,500 miles away. And it's hard for them to see firsthand the impact and the importance of what their true purpose is every day. So, um, you know, you look at that from like the top level down and then also, um, you know, I'll, when I'm over there and I'll, I'll be in Cebu again soon and I'll get in front of the whole entire company and I'll say, okay, who here works for me? And the hands will go up and they're invariably all hands of people that have not done this meeting yet. The new people. Yes. And I'll say, you can go ahead and put those hands down because I'm sorry, but you're wrong. I work for you. Yeah. And, but that's a vibe you mentioned coming from the top down and I do work for them. It's my job to help them find the, the, for the company to help find the clients that we want. And then also to try to make it a place that people want to not only come to work, but continue coming to work. That's it. Yeah. We had a client a couple of weeks ago and we showed him the inverted pyramid that you're talking about. And I said, you know, you really, you work for them and the, the people are the, the, the frontline workers are at the top of the pyramid. Yep. You're, you're the CEO, you're at the bottom. Your job is to support them and to give them what they need. And I remember she said, oh, you know what? That's exactly yeah, I wouldn't have said it that way, but you're exactly right. Because if I don't give them what they need, they can't do their jobs. Do you think there are a lot of companies that don't think that way these days? Yes. Yeah, I do. Like a ton. I mean, I think that's the opposite of what I just mentioned would be like, hey, look, I'm the CEO. I own the company or whatever, and you need to do what I'm telling you to do yeah. for reasons that I'm not even going to explain or help you care about. And at that point, you don't give a shit and, you, and, you're, and the job becomes disposable. Well, I think so. If you think about like unions, why do we need unions in the first place? The reason that they they started was we needed them because companies would take advantage of the workers. And like right. you work yeah. 100 hours a day and you get 10 cents. And so the union said, no, 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 no. We're going to take care of these people. So I think more and more companies are paying attention to that. But I think there's still a lot of companies that are profit driven. My sister is an airline pilot and the company she works for is completely profit-driven and they really don't care about their employees. And so they have union everything. And it's, I mean, it's like head to head butting all the time about stuff and just makes it. So, I mean, my sister gets paid a lot of money to fly a really big airplane and it's like, it's not fun. Like she likes the people she flies with, but working for the company, it's just arduous. It's, and it's always, that's what it's always seemed like to me is that unions in general create those barriers well, I think the barriers were there first. I think unions were designed to help the employees, mm-hmm. but it's like, okay, well, why aren't we just helping those people in the first place? Like, why do we the companies even need... just need to care about their employees? Exactly. They either they care or they don't care. And that's really what culture is, is, hey, why don't you care about your people? And guess what? They'll work hard. They'll do a better job because they're invested emotionally. And when they don't, I mean, they're, you're either invested emotionally, you are invested from a negative emotion or you don't care. And it's when you get that apathy where people are like, yeah, I don't really care. You don't care about me. So I'm not going to care about you. Well, then your product suffers because then you have to like stand there and with a whip all day and Hey, do your job. You can't, you know, then they're just going to do the minimum anyway. So create that environment where you have, what is that Voltron sitting there? Yeah, we got Voltron over here. You got Voltron there, man. How much, 
that's kind of make it. If our guests aren't good, we, we are, turn them loose. On yeah, the but actually, it's funny because Voltron's in and around a lot of stuff for me for the last ten years because. The, while it's just a goofy cartoon from my childhood and now they brought it back. Thank you, Netflix. But the, you know, those are five lions that individually are kind of badass. but in every episode, one of them's usually getting its ass kicked for some reason. And right. then they, they decide that they want to work together. They form up, they become a team. And next thing you know, they've got a laser sword and they're slicing space monsters in half. Now, it, it, that's what, culture, right? Well, that's the whole point. Yeah. And that's why I actually like, it's funny. That's why we have Lego Voltron here or different stuff, because individually there's only so many things that we're going to get done. And that depending on the size of your company, that could be interdepartment relationships. I used to work for a company that I won't name, but they had two different divisions and there was like a massive wall in between the two. Yeah. And I was like, the first time I went out there, I just remember, and I was, I was there for a week at their headquarters and I was like, what the fuck is going on here? This is like two companies here in one, but you're literally in many places in the same room with each other, like right next to each other, but you were operating like two different companies and always baffled me how they would keep different, you know, anyone happy. So, so now I, I think one of the things that's, that's really popping out to me is, well, either big companies or rapidly growing companies might be the, the ones most, uh, affected or subjected to bad culture. Is that true? Well, I think everybody's subjected to it, but I think it can matter faster and, and bigger with those companies that you mentioned. Like if you're growing fast and you get a, couple of knuckleheads hired they can sour the, the whole Absolutely. environment really yeah. fast so i think you have a couple to of really negative difficult. toxic people can really take down a whole team oh yeah. absolutely and they can do it before you even know anything about it it's just like yeah. all of a sudden it's like man why is everybody like not producing or why is everybody negative or how come everybody quit where is everybody how come they didn't come to work today mm -hmm. so how do you how do you avoid that you have to stay on top of it okay so you have, you have, um, people bring in their stuff every day. Like you talked about work-life balance and it's like, and when I grew up, um, uh, and, and started in the workforce in the eighties, people said, now you leave your personal life at home. Well, we all know that's impossible. Yes. Right. If you're Completely going through your stuff at home, you're going to bring it to work. And it's hard to, you can't just leave work at work either. No. The street goes two ways. So how do we help people to have to be able to open up and if they're having a bad day to say, Hey, Matt's, I'm having a bad day, man. I need you to cover for me because tomorrow I might need to cover for you. So you talk about that before all the bad stuff happens. We call it pre-call. So let's talk about what are some of the bad things that could happen this week, this month, this year, whatever it is. So that when that stuff does happen, Hey, we're getting ready to grow. Let's talk about what are some of the barriers that we might run into as we grow some. You bring a new employee on. Hey, let's talk about what are some of the things that could keep you from doing a, the, your best job here. Let's talk and then let's talk about how we're going to handle those things. So if you talk about that stuff up front, then when it happens, it's not a surprise and people aren't all pissed off at you. Like, bro, what are you talking about that? Then it's like, hey, we talked about if this happened. We said this is what we're going to do. Oh, okay. Well, let's go do it. And so I think people don't like being surprised. So you just got to stay in front of them all the time. But I think if you can. That's one of the methods that I teach that I've found people have said, hey, that's been very helpful. It's just 
let's just talk about this stuff before it happens. When you say people don't like to be surprised, though, sometimes that's and the, you, that's unavoidable, though. Like if you have sometimes. to make a shake up or just change things, yeah, in certain ways. And you know, you mentioned rapidly growing companies. I'll just use full scale for an example. Like you know, we went from having. 20 employees to having 60 to all of a sudden we're not even two years old and we're coming up on 200. The things that worked well. All right. So as someone, as the CEO of the company, my ability to, to deal with, know, and understand and keep my finger on the pulse of a 50 person company is remarkably different and uh -huh. easier than with, than it is now. Totally different. And that's one of the challenges I try to deal with. So some of that, you talk about making changes that are for the greater good of the company or the workforce or whatever. In the end, though, people don't like change. So any change you make is going to encounter a level of turbulence or, I don't know, sometimes like when. It, so what's some advice about when, where, and how to make a change in the in the culture? So people have been saying that for a long time, and I'm, I'm not sure I believe that People, everybody doesn't like change. I think people don't like change necessarily thrust upon them or that they don't understand. Uh, but if you think about it, we all do stuff differently every day of our lives. So True. people do like change. They just don't like change that's thrust upon them that they don't really understand or that's from a negative perspective. But we're all pursuing, you know, we've all left jobs to go get a better job. Right. Or maybe you got fired from a job. There's an opportunity to go find a better job. So I think the perception is nobody likes change. But yet actually, if we dig into it a little bit, I think maybe that's not a completely true statement. So is it more like people don't always understand change? So it's important to define the why? Exactly. Okay. I think, I think we... that's a piece of it. Sorry, Matt. And then I think the other piece is what if you get people used to having change every day? Then when you have something else that's got to change, it's like, oh, OK, well, that happens every day. It's not a big deal. But if like everything's the same for 10 years and then you're like, hey, we're going to have some change because we're growing, then everybody's like, well, wait a minute. You just made me uncomfortable. But if you help me be uncomfortable to change a little bit every single day, then it's now I'm mm. used to it. Now it's not such a big deal. I, one of my favorite sayings is change is a process and not an event. Oh, and um, write that down. I'm doing it. <laughs> the I don't know where you're going to put that, but we'll have it written down. Tell me more. I Well, I honestly don't feel like people like change myself. Yeah? I don't know. I feel like people like just doing their job and there's, you know, a rhythm to it. And they don't really care for the constant change. But, I mean, in, in, I mean, I work in software development. So what we do every day is different, right? It's not like we're on an assembly line and we do the exact same motion over and over. I mean, what we do is a, there's a new challenge every day, a new problem. I mean, so there's change in the work every day. But right. we come to work and do the same thing basically every day. Um. I don't know. I, I feel like humans don't like change, but well, I say that in the like the first page of my book, balance me. I'm like, you have to understand that people don't like change. So if you're not one of those people and change is a recurring thing, kind of like you mentioned, or you're talking about making it incremental, you can't just make a change and then just, yeah, it's done. You have to right. go back and revisit it, retune it, sometimes restart it. Yeah. I mean, is that correct? Yeah. Is that, is that what you guys teach? I, I think you do. I, I kind of, I'm still thinking about the process though. I think Change is a process. It's a process. Yeah. It can't be an event. Right. Because then it's like, okay, well, it's done. Now we're going to go back to what we wanted to do before. It's sim similar to your incremental approach, yeah. which I like. By the way, if you want to learn more about Frank Keck and CoreBuild, you can go to corebuild.solutions. That's right. Yeah. That's where we are. Yeah. Good stuff. And you're right up the street from us too. Yeah. yeah. Or down the street, whichever way you look at it. Yeah. 
I like to think in upward mobility. <laughs> so you're up the street. <laughs> Maybe when I'm coming to work and I have my whole day in front of me, I'm heading down the street. I don't know. I, I think I think the kind of change that hurts companies the most is you have your just normal you know employee that works there, and their managers keep asking them to make changes and policy and whatever that the the employee thinks are just stupid and they don't understand. I would agree with you that. You know, yeah. I think that's what really makes it kind of very toxic. The the changes, the constant changes. Like my dad works at the old company I used to I founded and sold and and you know, I talk to him from time to time. That's what I hear from him. Like, oh they changed this, we gotta do this dumb shit. We gotta do this dumb shit. You know, it's just like the dumb changes that come down from management. That's usually all we ever talks about. And and they don't usually have a say in it. No. And they don't understand why they're doing it. Nobody understands. Right. So that is dumb. That kind of change nobody likes. But but that's what I'm talking about. You talked about the why. So if people understand, hey, here's why we're in business. And what that means is every day, you guys, we got to be a little bit better than we were yesterday. Yeah. So if that's the approach, then part of that is, okay, like you even said, Matt, every day we kind of do the same stuff, but every day it's a little bit different. Like how long would your best people stay if they did the exact same thing every day? Not very long. They like they like to be well, challenged. They like to challenge, right? And that challenge is because they got to use their brain. They got to think. Well, that's all change. And so I think it's. But if we get if we said, hey, I have a job where you get to be challenged and you get to grow and you get to really apply yourself, people get excited. But if I had said, I have a job and, and I'm going to change stuff on you and you don't get to say anything about it, you're going to go, I'm not staying. Sure. So I think it's just a lot of it is how do we get people to have the right mindset and and to be able to have some control in their life. That's the other thing. You know, if your dad doesn't have control over any of that change, of course he's going to be tired of it. Yeah, it's very frustrating. Well, I, th I think back to that why. So we just, you know, at full scale, we've, as we've continued to grow, we continue, you know, we look at, at our client's success as our success. So that's our why, you know, how, what are we going to do that's going to improve the odds of that? And then also I think that, okay, then this is what's challenging. So, you know, with dozens of different clients all over the world at this point, um, te technically we are trying to achieve the objectives of dozens of companies within our own company, which we also have objectives. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's tough for us is, you know, we, it's hard, we cannot put our finger on the pulse very easily of the way, you know, at Fulsco, we just, we help you build a team in our office yeah. and then they work for you. Yeah. So the thing is, is they're exposed to your culture, your processes, your people, and that's difficult. So I mentioned like making changes. We've grown like we've just and uh, are rolling out some things that create what I'm just referring to as, as circular and cyclical communication. So it's meant to like not just go. It, well, I so we employ software developers. They want feedback. They want to be better. Sure. But sometimes when you're dealing, you know, the assumption that your client knows what to ask or what to say or any of that is is naive as well at least we've we've been naive up to that point and then other things too yeah. is assuming that we're going to hire people and they're going to know like for these are simple things like asking the person the client or the people you're working with once a month frank is there anything i can do to make your life easier <laughs> i love that because how many how many employee surveys do we send out hey how could we make your job better I have no idea. I how like about how the other way around? It. Like, what can I do to make your life easier? But ask if you ask the, the people that you provide service for that, it, I mean, it's a level. I mean, hopefully they tell you. Or what can I do better? What can I do to be of the most value? What's the highest priority? What are our goals? Like, what are we trying to accomplish? And yeah, if you, there and, you go. And then, and these are some of the things that aren't just like nuts and bolts. Like, 
Are you ahead in your timeline? Are you behind in your timeline? Do you have the instructions you need? Now let's take it to a different level where it's it's a people thing. What goes back to the the whole premise at the beginning? You know, people think that I have a great culture because I have a ice cream machine and a pool table. Well, that's great if that actually helps you do your job and you understand why you have it. But a lot of people have it and they don't really understand the whole, why is this here? Well, it's an opportunity for you to go blow off some steam, you know, in the afternoon or something. But they don't talk about that. And so the pool table just kind of sits there because they don't really give people the freedom to actually go utilize it. It just looks cool. It just looks cool. Can we get a pool table? Sure. You could put it right over there where Mickey is. That would be good during the episodes, people playing pool. <laughs> That'd be perfect. I get cranky enough when someone's like three rooms away being too loud. I'm like, that's going to bleed into the sound. A pool table would be it's pretty quiet this morning. Yeah. Well, we I... told everyone to stay home just because. One of the challenges that I've always had has actually been protecting my employees from themselves. You know, um, at least in the software development world, you get certain employees that want to do everything. They want to be the hero. They want right. to solve all the problems. They want everybody to count on them. And then they get really stressed out and they blow up. Yeah. And um, I mean, that's that's like been a recurring problem for me is having to identify those people. And like they're amazing team members, actually. But then I have to like sit them down and tell them like, you can't be the hero every yeah. day. You're You're amazing at all these things, but you also have to be good at training and delegating other people so you're not the hero every day and you need to stop doing his job like that guy over there you're doing his job and and not helping him learn how because you're just trying to be the hero so i think this goes back i've been waiting for the right time to use my chiefs analogy do Uh, it go chiefs so mahomes is the hero incredible um and everything and so last year 50 touchdowns like fifty thousand yards a game whatever it was i mean it was We've never seen anything like that, right. especially here. This year, he starts off out of the gate. We're 4 0. He's throwing for insane amounts of yardage and touchdowns and everything. And then, and I was, my son and I watched the games every week, and I said, We're in trouble. And he's like, Well, we're undefeated, Dad. Why are we in trouble? And I said, Because Mahomes is, everyone's standing around watching him be great. He can't be great all the time. When he has a bad, now I haven't really seen him have a horrible game, but he's had some that are not as great. But when he got injured, the team couldn't, couldn't rely on him as right. much. And that's, I think, when you saw that team start to come together as a team because they realized, oh, wait a minute, we can't rely on one guy all right. the time. Now the defense has got to stand up and actually do something. They can't just rely on Mahomes to go score 40 points. Exactly. I, I refer to what you guys are talking about as tiny generals. And I know you've heard me talk mm-hmm. about this before, but a tiny general is someone that, and it can, it, it's a mix. So it could be the person that wants to be the general on too many things. And now you're, you rely on that too much. Yeah. And then a tiny general is also one person that you give too much power. That could be the guy that's like the only person that can turn on an email at a company. <laughs> and you're like, we need an email turned on. <laughs> well, I'll get to that when I have time. But right now I don't have time. You're like, yeah, but uh, we have four new employees that can't even send, send or receive an email. I'll get to that when I get to it. After and then, I get my soft serve ice cream. Yeah. And, well, I'm, and I'm going to go play pool. Uh, yeah, right. And so you can create that a couple different ways. And like in, in Master Watson's example, um, you know, sometimes you, or the Pat, Pat Mahomes example, what do you do when that hero or that general isn't there? Like you're just gone on vacation. And now all of a sudden you're like, oh, we can't fix anything. What do we do? How does this work? 
And that's, that's what do we do? That's kind of what the, yeah. the, the guys on the team in Denver were, was it Denver, right? Where it happened? Where he hurt, got hurt. Yeah. And they just kind of looked at each other and was like, Oh crap. Now what do we do? Yeah. But they, and so they were okay. I think they were already ahead in that game. They played okay. Yeah. But it wasn't, that's when they started to realize, Oh, well, we're going to have to do this without. This might be a problem. Yeah. Bring Matt Moore out of retirement. Yeah. And he, he got it done. He did. He got it done. Well, we did win the Super Bowl. Yeah. But like you said, it sometimes it, it and it, all right. So the tiny general example or what we were just discussing is times when I think you need to force change. Yeah. That's I rather than implementing it or whatever. Like I really get cranky about that at full scale. I'm like, we should never have one person. That's the only person that knows how to do any of this. Because if think, that person's gone or something changes or whatever, and it just, it's a pain in the ass. So for those of you out there listening, I would ask you to think about, do you have tiny general syndrome or do you have a tiny general on your team and what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Because at some point it's going to blow up in your face. Yeah. And then what are you going to do? It's kind of like being a podcast host. I'm going to need you to do this without me for a while, Matt. Sure. See? That was easy. Did you see I'm going to do it with Voltron. That's, Did you see the enthusiasm in his face, though? That's yeah. what I wish everybody could see. You know, Matt's passion for sitting in the on the seat across the table. It would be weird if we switched seats in here, wouldn't it? That, that would be, that would be cool. really weird. It's funny because we also use our, our podcast studio is also, I say it's a podcast studio that is sometimes a conference room. Mm-hmm. I have to sit on it like almost on this side of the table because I feel weird. Do you sit in the same seat at home at dinner time every day? No, largely because we don't eat dinner like that at home. We're not that structured of a family. <laughs> but no, I hear I hear what you're saying in certain regards. I mean, so now now there is some merit to what I just said. Sometimes you have to force change. Like one of the things that is recommended is that just so your your life doesn't become so routine and you're not so automated. Just in your, th- do you ever drive to work and then you're, if you had to think about the route you just took and you're like, oh, whoa. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So they say actually like take some different ways and stuff. Like I do that all the time. Like, you know, I had to retrain myself to drive a better way to work like well, six months ago and now mm-hmm. I'm doing it. But I, and now I drive past the other, the other turn I used to take, which, you know, it's just like without even thinking about it. But th- those those little tiny changes and different things mix up your thought process a little bit in a good way. So the science that you're talking about behind that, it's you're, you get these neural pathways, which are the little super highways of information. So as you do the same thing over and over again, you develop that habit. Those neural pathways are like, oh, okay, we'll just do this because this is easy. This is there's less resistance and the information flows. And then you just, you have a change. You have to do something different. Well, that's now the the brain is saying, well, wait a minute, this is different. And so I think some of that resistance to change is biological, and that's why I say if you get people used to change every day, especially if it's change they're driving. Now, when it's something a little bit different, they got to go a different way to work. Like when this Metcalf was closed, remember that last summer, mm-hmm. you couldn't even get down Metcalf. You had to go a different way. Well, that was forced upon people. But if you said, hey, you know what? It's going to be changing. People can think about that and be proactive. So let's let's take a different outlook here. And let's say that you walk into a company that's got a terrible culture okay. for, for whatever reason. How do you get how do you how do you get to changing something like that? Uh, I'm thinking of one in particular. I walked in and um, sat down with the uh, C-suite and uh, I said, why am I here? And they, cause they had called me and they said, we have 24% turnover in an industry that's got 12% average turnover Yikes! and we can't 
get good people. And the other CIA, the COO said, yeah, and we can't keep them when we do get them. That's why you're here. And I said, are you guys open to change? And they said, yes, we are. Well, it turns out they weren't. So I think the first thing is you have to really decide why is it important, but are you open to changing you first? And so what I helped them to realize in about 45 minutes was that they were the problem. And, you know, if, if meaning the C-suite, the C-suite, you know, so they had all these bad habits and, and like a lot of companies, they were focused on being busy, not necessarily being profitable, not necessarily being great at creating a great product, but just, Hey, we're so busy. And so there was a competition to see who could be the busiest. And I said, congratulations, you guys are great at being busy, but you're, that's the whole reason your people leave is because you guys are so busy. You don't have the time to spend with them to help them to feel like, Hey, you're important. Hey, here's why we're actually like, they had no purpose for their company. They had no values for their company that they'd established. So people or when people would interview, they would say, why should I work here? Well, the only reason that people would come to work there is because they paid a good wage. Well, as soon as they could get 25 cents an hour across the street, guess what? They're gone. So I think it's got to help. You got to start with, okay, what's the, what's the purpose of your company and why should somebody want to come work for you? Yeah. Those are all really good points. Have you, have you had to solve any culture issues like that in any companies you've been with? Yeah. I, the, some of the biggest issues we had at, at Stack over the years is, was having one or two employees that were very toxic. We've, we've had issues with that. Um, you know, we, we had issues before where people would complain there wasn't enough communication from the management of like, how are we doing? Are we winning or losing? What's going on? And so that's why we, we switched to having monthly management meetings, yeah. like all, all hands, um, all hands meetings. I mean, with all the employees and just reiterating how we're doing, what's going on, that kind of stuff, just that communication. And then they complain about it those meetings. So <laughs> some of it is, you know, it's like you, you have to go out of your way to uh, make them happy, even if it's not really their cup of tea, but yeah. And, but those have been some of our issues. Um, we've definitely had a couple of people that were extremely toxic that we needed to get out of here a long time ago and didn't, didn't fast enough. Well, I think, so you talk about those people that say there's not enough communication. What I tell people is if you have an employee that says there's not enough communication, that's a red flag. And those people are usually terrible at communication exactly. too, is what we found. Because they were the worst communicators themselves. And then you give them a whole <laughs> bunch more information and they're like, well, there's still not enough. And But it's not the right. Well, they just want something to complain about. Yes. And communication is the easiest they're thing just to complain toxic. about. Yep. And, that, and so that's a red flag of maybe they just don't fit kind of your point earlier, Matt. Like maybe they just don't fit and they're never going to be happy. So maybe they should go be unhappy somewhere else. We free up their future. Yeah. I think the toxic employee thing is a big one. I mean, I, and for lack of a more refined uh, example, I, you know, if you have a turd in the punch bowl. <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> the, none of the punch is going to taste good, people. And, uh, you know, I've always felt that way that, um, you know, you know, negativity is, is a virus and it's yeah. easy to spread. Yeah. And it and it can get wildly out of control in a hurry because no one wants to deal with the drama and the bullshit. No. And, uh, you know, so you got to um, I mean, like I said, that turd in the punch bowl, man, that's never a good thing. Would and, you drink out of that punch bowl? No. Would you? Well, it makes me think of the movie Stripes. Was it Stripes or no? What's the one? Well, Caddyshack. Oh, Caddyshack when, where he with eats the, the pool. Yeah. He throws the Snickers in there or the payday or whatever. It's like, that looks or like a baby turd. Ruth. Yeah. Right? Yes. 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 
they're like literally in the pool with it drained. He's yep. like wearing a hazmat suit and spraying the whole thing <laughs> he down. Takes a bite out of it. But here's the thing, though: you have to do that if you get that turd in the punch bowl. You can't just pull it out and just say, "All right, we're back to normal. Everyone drink punch." But what I think it what, takes a while. I you get to dump it out, mix it again. Hopefully, what typically happens is we empty the pool, leave the turd there, and fill it back up with fresh water, and go, "Oh well." We're fine because we have fresh water. Well, you're not fine because the whole cause of the thing is still there. Absolutely. And I think we're, you know, people are scared to get rid of people. And I'm not. You've, you've, (laughs) you know, people, it's what I tell companies all the time when we come in and do work for them. I say the first thing that you have to be, you have to agree with me on or you have to be okay with is not everybody deserves to work here. Not everybody is right to work here. I agree with that. And that's the thing, as I mentioned, I said, I don't almost by default. Like if you're a turd in my punch bowl, you you're going, Yeah, you're not going to last long because that's one thing that you talk about changing a culture. It can have the fastest, deepest, most negative impact across everyone in a hurry. And then once you get it out, you still have to do so much crap just to get to back to where you are. Like, so the moment you spot that stuff, and I'm going to tell you something, I've learned one thing about hiring over the last 20 years is that good people are good right away. Yes. And I, I challenge you as a listener to go back and think of all the people you've hired, the people you've worked with, the places you've worked where someone came in and they were not good at what they did right away. And then later became the hero because it is like that 0.1%. It's like Rudy. I'm just saying like, it's rare. It's it's, it's, sure. It's a comeback story that, that happens on the fringe, but for the most part. So as a business owner, a startup, like, Here's the thing. If you're, if your business is at an early stage, you got to be real sensitive to this stuff because you can ruin shit in a hurry. Well, I think one of the biggest mistakes I've made for a long time is not following my gut instincts. Yeah. Oh God, and, that's so tough. And you know, you, you hire somebody and you don't think they're doing a very good job or whatever, but maybe you, it'll get better. You, yeah. And time and time again, time. my gut instincts are almost always right. And I just don't listen to them. Now, yeah. but on the flip side of that, though, I've really over the last several months taken, uh, tried to take an extreme ownership approach, though, because sometimes as leaders, you do have to really like there aren't bad teams, there's bad leaders. Um, now, you can't like, you know, you'll use this example, like for Navy SEAL tryouts. Look, eventually, you know, sometimes people need to ring the bell themselves and get on out of here. You can't always make people march, but if you're not telling, if you're not giving the instructions on, you know, Hey, look, this is what, this is what we're trying to do. This is how we're going to do it. This is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to do. Let's get after it. And then if you have, if you're three iterations deep on that and someone's just still not doing it, well, you did take ownership and try in that regard, but really in the end you should be, and I'll give you just a simple simple example if you're a startup and you have five people and one of those is a turd in your punch bowl that means 20 percent of your employees are toxic yeah you can get away with that a little easier when you have 400 employees and the math feels a little different but when it's early man it's i mean think about that if 20 percent of your employees suck well if you're small 20 percent of your employees maybe one yeah i mean right you can't afford to have it that's like a 20% dead zone. You can't afford to have a 20% no. dead zone. So you got to you got to get real defensive. All right. So now, Frank, we're going to do a follow-up episode about self-development, but I, I want to go ahead and round this episode out. And I think I'd like to hear each of us give a workplace culture uh, tip, 
Like what's Ooh. something you do? Just the tip, guys. That's all we. That's all you're allowed. What? Do we have a commercial so I can think about it? <laughs> you should. I'll tell you what. I'll make Watson go first. All right. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm not going to give you just the Do tip. we have a commercial? I'm yes. Gonna, I'm going to give For you For those of you listening, go to corebuild.solutions to learn more about why Frank <laughs> needs time to think of a workplace culture tip. Is that better? Did you get it? That wasn't 30 seconds, but that was good. It was 30 seconds. We slow it down in the real world. Oh, okay. So my, uh, my tip is about communication. And I think really employees at the end of the day, one of the things they want to hear from management is, are we winning or losing? And uh, people just want to know, how are we doing? And if you are losing, you need to tell the employees and, t- and, and let them know how they can help. Right? A lot of times they can help. They will help. They will rally, you know, Pat Mahomes is down. What do we got to do, guys? Let's get together and figure it out. Yeah. But you got to go to the team and you got to tell them, hey, we're losing and this is what we got to do. This is why you need to help us. This is what we need you to do. I like that. Okay. So I think you have to, like when you're winning or losing, you have to, oh, wait a minute. That was yours. (laughs) I like that so much. I was going to make it mine. No, I think one of the to go along. You see with the, why we have Frankie back, right? To go along with the winning or the losing, I think you've got to be vulnerable, and you just have to be real and just tell people, "Hey, look, you're not cutting it, right?" Or I don't. It just you doesn't feel like you fit here. Doesn't feel like you want to be here. Hey, you're doing a terrific job. Um, I'm having a hard time with this. And I think so many times we try to be like that perfect boss, the perfect team leader, like nothing, nothing impacts me negatively. And your people don't believe that. And so I think just being open and being vulnerable and saying, Hey, I'm, I'm having a hard time with this. And that kind of goes along with what you were saying, Matt, like, Hey, you guys, we're behind. We, we need to like figure out together, how are we going to get caught up and, and continue to do a great job? But we, we can't continue on this. And so I think it's that being open and honest, but letting them see a little bit of yourself as well. I'm, and I'm going to parlay off what both of you guys said, because there was a little ask, a little tell in there. Um, and I think that I think that that open nature, you know, I try to do that when I go to visit our office in Cebu. Um, you know, one thing that is incredibly effective is about a week before I get there. So it's probably about to be out now. Um, we'll put a box on the front desk and we just let people ask questions. Just a, a big stack of papers and a, and a pens and they just put their questions in there and we will have a town hall meeting at one point and I will answer those questions in a very transparent way, which by the way is kind of funny because some of them have learned that much like Ron Burgundy will read what's on the teleprompter. <laughs> I will answer the question, but so some of them are, you know, kind of, kind of amusing. Um, uh, but with that, you know, give you, when I do that, I hear an echo with those questions in a hurry. And I realized very quickly, even prior to the town hall meeting, exactly what the big issues that I need to solve are. And sometimes they're so solvable too. Like, and, and I'll get, I'll get there. And I'll, a lot of you have stated that blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and, and I'm sorry that you, that this many of you even had to write this down. You are right. Yeah. This is something we need to do better. And then sometimes it's, it's other stuff too. It's like, we need to double our, our paid time off. I, and you have to say, Hey, 
while that sounds like a great idea, we are a business in order for us to do all these other things. We have a finite capacity for doing, we have to work within our own means. Right. And that's that level of, of transparency and openness. That's like, Hey, you know, I, I understand that having everything all the time, anytime is always the, the best scenario, but then there's reality. So speaking of reality, I'm going to go ahead and uh, say see you all next time and see you again soon, Frank. I know one guy that you should have on your podcast. Really? Yeah. I think it would fit right in. I know you just had a thing on social media last week and people gave you like hundreds of suggestions. I think you should. Oh, have- by the way, that was how I crowdsourced my job. I think you should have Matt Moore. Oh. The you quarterback? Should. Yeah. No, I'll give him a call. I'll get, I'll get, I'll get together with Pat Mahomes. No, no, he's Pat. You need Matt. I know, but I'm going <laughs> to ask Pat Mahomes if I can get oh, his backups, okay. <laughs> <laughs> which by the way, on the way out, I was, I was like, huh, what should our next podcast topics be about? So I literally put on Facebook, I said, if, if we hosted you on startup hustle, what would the episode be about? I'm, I'm 125 comments deep into that. And I realized in less than an hour, I went out and told my wife, I said, Hey, look, I just crowdsourced part of my job. Look at all these great ideas. So anyway, I better get back to reading more of those comments. Yeah. See you guys soon. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle. We do it.